turn the microphone over to her. And I just want to encourage everybody, um, you know, neighborhood groups are launching the week of September 17th. So if you have any questions about our group or any group here at the Grove, uh, Oscar and myself and some of our group members will be at the back at the TV. And we just encourage you to come and talk to us. Um, we, may, we might not be a fit for you, but there are several other uh, able people here that would love to come and come alongside you and your family and, uh, and help you grow here and get you plugged in here. So I highly encourage, if you're not a part of a neighborhood group, uh, please see us and we'd be happy to um, get you in the right direction. Um, but scripture reading today is from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, by your Son and through your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, we thank you that we have this opportunity this morning to gather uh, to worship you and to praise your holy name and to hear your word preached. I pray, Lord, this morning uh, that whatever is, is hard, in us, hard in us, that you would soften. Uh, we pray whatever is dark, you would illumine. We pray whatever is low, you would raise and support uh, so that we may be well equipped, Lord, to go forth, uh, to proclaim your gospel and to demonstrate it. Uh, Lord, we pray for Josue this morning. We ask that you give him um, uh, the words to speak. We pray that our hearts would be attentive to what he says and what he has, and we thank you for him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Buenos dias, familia. Man, it's so good to be back, to hear your voices. We have missed you tremendously, but we have been actively working to reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ in Sugarland, Texas. And so we are so grateful for all the prayers, all the encouragement you guys have sent our ways. And we're so excited to be here today worshiping together. This is one of the beautiful ways as the Capital C Church, we get to collaborate to saturate our area with the gospel. And we hope that this will be the first of many church plants to leave or to multiply out of the grove. And one day we get to celebrate with many more churches around this area uh, to make much of the name of Jesus. And so today I am really excited to get to finish out our sermon series on the neighborhoods, networks, and the nations. If you've been here any amount of time for the past few weeks, you've probably been hearing this verse repeated, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've been discovering what that means for you and for me, that we first start in our homes, that we move into our Jerusalem, which is our neighborhoods, into natural networks, like we heard last week of vo uh, vocation, of recreation, and education, and we're constantly finding ways to share the good news of Jesus. Why? Because those good news have been first good news to us, and so we are the vessels and instruments that God is using to proclaim those good news to the people around us. But I have to ask you today a question that I had to ask myself this week. When is the last time you prayed for the nations? When is the last time you thought about the nations? You see, it's easy for you and for me in our day in and our day out to get uh, swallowed up 
in the busyness, in the busyness of life. And as you, if you've been here in the past few weeks of even trying to be on mission, and we forget that there is actually a bigger plan and a bigger purpose God has for the church. And today we're going to get to discover that together. And we're going to discover three things. We're going to discover presence, promise, and purpose. All right, I want you to look at your neighbor and say presence, promise, and purpose. All right, just trying to wake you up. I know we had a lot of announcements, so I will try to push through this with you. So today we're going to unpack the three things that I think we find in this text, which are presence, promise, and purpose. You see, I believe that in God's presence, when we are in God's presence, we discover his promise that ultimately leads us to the purpose, the greatest purpose, to bless the nations. And we're going to discover that together today. Uh, this summer, we had the chance to visit uh, Mayan ruin with my wife, Yadira. And uh, I got this picture of one of the pyramids. It's one of the New World Wonders um, because it is the biggest pyramid vol volume-wise, all right, in the world. And it is from this Mayan civilization. When you look at this pyramid and you're before it in person, now I'm not a tall guy, so this felt even bigger probably than some of you guys who are really tall. But you stand there and you look at this and you think, oh my goodness, this pyramid is ginormous. How in the world did they build this pyramid? There's theories of aliens. Not true, I don't think. But what we must acknowledge is there's a lot of work that went into building this pyramid. And then you look around the entire ruin, and what you find is that these, these Mayans spent a lot of time building things for their gods. The majority of our guided tour revolved around their belief system and how it infiltrated all the architecture, all their daily life. And one of the things that the tour guide said to us that I thought was really fascinating is the Mayans weren't that different than most civilizations. They aimed to please their gods. And one of the biggest ways that they did that was by a human sacrifice. They believed that if they sacrificed a human, that, that it was an honor for them to sacrifice themselves before these gods, that the gods would have favor over them and bless them and bless their crops but they did not know the true God, and they keep, kept looking for this true God. And as I was walking around with my wife, I couldn't help but think, man, isn't this the story of humanity? As we look at all of the Old Testament, we find this story time and time again in the pagan nations that are looking for favor before gods that they have formed themselves. They're looking for blessing from gods that they have uh, created. And you and I know the true God, and today's text opens us up by saying that you and I are blessed to know this God. So the first thing we discover in the Psalms is that presence is the blessing that fuels a heart for the nations. Presence is the blessing that fuels a heart for the nations. You see, this is the first psalm of, or a psalm of a quartet d dedicated to this choir master. There is this psalm that ultimately becomes a prayer that inevitably becomes a prophecy. But he opens up with words that you and I have heard before, even here at the Grove. He opens up and says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his, make his face shine upon us. Now, one of the words that probably sticks out to us in this text is the word bless, right? Now, normally when we think of blessing... In our humanity, in our flesh, we think, bling, bling, right? We think, what is going to make my life just a little bit more comfortable? Lord, I want you to bless me. And really what our prayers are before God is, Lord, I want you to make my life just a little bit easier, just a tad bit more easy. 
None of us, well, I don't want to say none of us, we don't often pray, Lord, this hardship, this trial, this moment and this season that I'm in that is really hard, Lord, I see it as your blessing. Give me more. None of us pray for more trial and more tribulation. But what we find here is that the blessing is quite simply this. He says, God's face would shine upon you. It is God's nearness to you. It is God coming to you. You see, we don't have to show up today and say, all right, who is going to be the human sacrifice this morning? None of us will come to church, right? We'd be like, ah, I'm not going to the Grove. That church is crazy. But that's the blessing from God. That he has already done the work on our behalf. You see, there was a human sacrifice required for us to have a way to God. There was a perfect sacrifice required for you and I have to have a right relationship with God. And that person who did that, who created, uh, who created the way for you and me to enter into a relationship with God is known as Jesus. We find the gospel of Jesus, the good news that he's defeated sin, death, and evil on our behalf. And he resurrected to make everything new, even you and me. And today we get to live out of that reality. We no longer have to show up and wonder who we're going to sacrifice. No, he's already completed the perfect sacrifice for us. And now we have the blessing of presence. That regardless of what you and I go through in this life, regardless of the struggles that we have in this life, God is near to us. And that is a big blessing that we can count on. You see, in the Old Testament, it was common to see that when God turned his face from the people, it was, it was a symbolism that he was displeased with them, that there was no favor he had with them. But this blessing comes from number six. The people of God had left Egypt. They've been uh, camped out at Mount Sinai for about a year. They're getting ready to walk to the promised land. And what we find here is God tells Aaron, uh, tells Moses to tell Aaron, give this blessing to my people as we prepare to move on to the promised land. And in that same verse, in that same section, he says this exact thing, but he uh, addresses them individually. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up your countenance upon you and give you peace. Now this is a beautiful text, fam. This is a beautiful text because even from the Old Testament, even when we had no right standing before the Lord, the Lord aimed to bless his people. He aimed to give a blessing to his people, and that blessing was his promise. That blessing was, was his favor. And so the first thing we find is that this benediction that we read sometimes here at the church is actually a blessing for you and for me. God's favor is over you because of the finished work on the cross. Now what that causes for you and for me is to have a relationship with God, to have intimacy with God. You see, he is asking us that now that we have access, that we would turn our attention and our affections to him. This is our daily and weekly struggle. If we are real, if we keep it real, sometimes it's hard enough just to get to church on Sunday mornings. I don't know what struggles you had this morning, getting yourself out of bed, getting your clothes ready, ironing, maybe getting your kids ready, maybe having an argument with your spouse. I don't know what struggles kept you from getting here on time or getting here with a lot of joy. But what I do know is that we leave here Sundays and we enter our daily grind back again Monday through Saturday. And what this text is reminding us is that as we leave, God's blessing is that he is near you. And as we discover his blessing, we find verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It might almost seem disconnected. How is it that God's blessing then connects to the nations? 
what he is telling us here is that as you and I have intimacy with God, this is what happens. As we get close to God, we discover his heart, we discover his plan and his purpose for the nations. I want you to consider this. What would it be like for your marriage if you only saw each other two hours a week? What would it be like for your parenting with your kids if you only saw your kids two hours a week? Some of you are like, man, that sounds great. Um, we can talk after the gathering. There are probably some things you and I need to talk about through that. But we wouldn't be able to have a sustainable and healthy marriage if the only time we spent with each other was two hours a week on a Saturday morning. And this is the invitation in this text is for us to consider that, that for us to really have a clear vision of what God wants to do in this world, we first have to have an intimate relationship with him. And when we do, the only proper response is worship. The only proper response to seeing God and being in his presence is worship. You see, if we worship God, we will tell the people of the world about God. Worship is ultimately all of life commitment to God. And so if you've struggled over the past few weeks to be on mission, to share the gospel, to, to be intentional with your neighbors and with your friends, might I ask you to consider that you don't have a training problem, you don't have a problem not having enough information. What we have is what we've heard in times past here at the Grove and what John Piper has said is that missions exist because worship doesn't. See, missions ultimately has to be this intentional outlook to the world because we are not naturally worshiping God. In the same uh, sermon he gives and, and talk he gives, John Piper says this, Seeking the worship of the nations is fueled by the joy of our own worship. You can't command what you don't cherish. You can't proclaim what you don't prize. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. One moment to process that. We cannot commend what we don't cherish, and we can't proclaim what we don't prize. Fam, for me this week, as I was in this text, I had to continually remind myself of the Lord's great mercy and grace over my life, that I did not deserve salvation. I did not deserve to have a way to him, but Christ made that way. And now what he beckons me to is to worship him in all of life. And as I do, a natural byproduct of that is that the nations will be glad. The nations will rejoice along with me because I am praising the king of kings, the, the majestic one who made a way for us to have a right relationship with him. And I want everyone to know about this great king and what he has done for my life. And so we must then ask ourselves, if worship is the fuel and the goal of missions, what are we worshiping? Personalize this to yourself. What are you truly, Monday through Saturday, worshiping? We come Sunday mornings, we sing songs, we worship God. Yes, that's a part of the process. But Monday through Saturday, ask yourself, what do you find a lot of, uh, using a lot of your time to, to think about? What excites you? What motivates you? What drives you to get through the end of the week? What we find is that whatever those things are, those are the things that we are worshiping. And inevitably, whatever we are worshiping, we're going to invite other people to worship as well. Whatever it is that you are worshiping, we will inevitably invite other people to worship those things as well. And so this psalm is not randomly connecting blessing to the nations. It is actually emphatically highlighting God's promise. And you might be asking yourself, how does he go from the Lord bless you to the nations? 
Glad you asked. We're going to head back to Genesis 12. All right, Genesis 12. We're going to read the first three verses here together. This is the call of Abraham, or Abram here. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in all the families of, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, the promise is that God will bless all people through his people. This has been the long-standing story of the nations in the Old Testament. God has been using imperfect people to carry out a perfect plan. If you were here last year at all and you remember the story of Genesis as we went through the story and found Abraham, this man was not a perfect man. But this man believed God and God counted to him as righteousness and he is called to go and that God would make uh, uh, bless the nations through him. And so we have to ask, did God really bless all the nations through him? How, what, what was Abraham ultimately carrying out? Actually, we, we rewind just a little bit more to the garden of Adam and where God, sorry, to the garden with Adam and Eve, and what we find is this is the same blessing. Genesis 1:28 says, And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God's plan has always been to bless the world through his people. God's plan has always been to fill the earth with his glory through his people. But we as humans forget. We as humans turn away from him. And so God picks up that part of the story with Abraham and says, I will bless all the nations through you. Now let me ask you to consider. When you hear the word nations, what do you think about? When you hear the word nations, all the earth, the ends of the earth, we in our Western world as Americans, as Texans, we normally think all the people out in the East, right, in Asia, in Europe, we think people far away from here. But what we actually find here is that this text was not written to Americans, right? The initial original text was written to people in the Near East. And you and I are actually the nations. You see, you and I are the Gentiles that God aimed to bring back to himself. And so God creates this plan even from the Old Testament, and we find it over and over again in the Old Testament. 500 times, over 500 times, we find the word nations in the Old Testament. God is using his people to reach these nations, and he moves his story along, and he moves it to the New Testament, and he continues this through Jesus Christ, right? We heard of him reaching the Samaritan woman last week, and then he, he commissions his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations. And because people were obedient, obedient to the point of death, you and I today have access to the gospel. You and I today have access to have a right relationship with God. You see, you and I are sons and daughters of Abraham. We're the fulfillment of this promise. This big picture that God started back with Abraham is fulfilled through you and through me. God uh, tells us in Galatians 3 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, you and me. 
And he goes on to say, now then, that is those of the faith who are the sons of Abraham. So those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, we are the fulfillment of that promise. We are the fulfillment of people stepping up, obeying, and going to share the good news of Jesus. But we might begin to think, well, this has been going on for a few millennia. Surely we have reached a lot of the world. Surely we've made it to the ends of the earth. I want to invite you to consider some statistics that I found this week. I don't normally get to nerd out with you together, but today we're going to nerd out on some stats because I think they're going to be revealing of really what's happened in this story up to today. If you've never gone to the joshuaproject.net, it is a website that uh, ultimately takes the information from the world of the, the world's population and then categorizes it in a way that we can understand what the gospel is doing across the world. They've identified 17,446 people groups, one of those being the A&M Aggie people group. <laughs> That's just for you guys. I'm kidding. They're not in there. But out of the 17,446 people group, 7,391% are unreached people group. All right. That is 42.4% of all the peoples in the, in the world right now are unreached. These are numbers as of this week. And you might be asking yourself, what does unreached mean? It means that less than or equal to 5% uh, of the people are Christians and less than or equal 2% are evangelical. There is no indigenous community of believing Christians. This means that out of the 8 billion people in the world right now, 3.4 billion people are unreached in this world. They don't know the gospel of Jesus, and they are not following the true God. That should be a staggering statistics to you and to me. That as we sit here in the freedom to worship on a Sunday morning, almost half of the population of the world does not know about God. And God has called you and me to do something about that. This week we had the opportunity to go to the Houston Church Planning Network a meeting. We have a monthly meeting with church planners across the city, and we were there with Lance. And uh, we got together with about 200 other church planners. We're aiming to saturate our city with the good news of Jesus as church planners. So we gathered to pray, to worship, to be encouraged, and to be empowered to continue this mission. And the gentleman that was leading this, uh, this uh, time told us that COVID was the first pandemic that was very, very different to any other pandemic in the history of the world. You see, in every other pandemic that we've gone through in history, the church has radically grown. The church has been so different, so set apart, that the people around them, as they are suffering, have looked to the church for hope and for purpose, have looked to the church for help. But COVID is the first pandemic where the church did not grow. Not only did we need, did not grow, we fast-forwarded our decline by five years. The church has been dwindling over time, and we at 2023 are at the numbers that we expected to be at in 2028. We're no different than the world. The world looked at us through this pandemic and said, nah, I think I'm good. I don't want to be any part of that. I don't want to do anything that they're doing because they don't look that much different to us. You guys may have heard of a man named Joe Rogan, not endorsing him. He is uh, 
an agnostic, grew up Catholic, very well known as a podcaster, very opinionated, very uh, pointed comments against Christians. But in the past couple of weeks, one of the things he was uh, quoted saying is that if Christians lived out what they really believed, this world would be a better place for a lot of people. You see, the call for you and for me is that as we worship God, that we ascribe beauty and majesty to God, that then that would flesh out in us as people that would move out to proclaim this good news to the 3.4 billion people that don't yet know Christ. And as the final, like, most alarming stat that I think I found this week is this. Christianity is not the fastest growing religion anymore. There's two others that are quickly, quickly growing. One you might know is Islam. Islam, up to 2020, had these statistics. Out of the 77, uh, 77% of their conversions, I just want you to hear this, 77% of their conversions was made up of this. 53% that identified as Christian Protestants and 20% that identified as Catholics. This is in the U.S. 77% of Muslim conversions were from Christianity to Islam. 77%. Only 19% of their conversion were from people that were not religious. Out of that, the people who left the Muslim faith, 55% left to be non-religious, and only 22% left to become Christians. What does that tell us about what we've been doing as a church? The Muslim community has been active. They've been actively evangelizing to a gospel, to their version of a gospel that we know is not true. But the church, you and I, the capital C church as a whole, we've become somewhat passive or dormant. or Maybe we've become bored. And so today's invitation is for us to discover this greater picture that God is doing, that he wants to bless all the nations through you and through me. And yes, when he says the nations, he means all the nations. And when he says for, for us to make disciples of the nations, he is talking to you and to me. And so as I work through this text this week and look at these statistics, I realize this is a wake-up call for all of us, that there is a dying world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus and we've, we've belittled this work, and God has invited us to become aware of this work. And so we must ask ourselves, what is my life about? The psalmist here would then tell us this, that if we worship God, if we enter into his presence, if we have intimacy with him, that we will naturally proclaim God to the nations. And so not only do we find presence and the blessing of presence, we find the promise that God is going to bless all people through his people. We finally find that in that we find our purpose. And that purpose is this, to bless all the nations. Your purpose in this world is not just to be a good husband or a good wife or a good parent. Yes, that is a part of it. But in this journey, you are as well as a son and a daughter of Abraham called to bless the nations. And how do we do that? How do we bless the nations? Well, the psalm first tells us that we would proclaim that God would be known. So we would proclaim his salvation. So that means we will proclaim the gospel, the good news to the people around us. Acts 1.8, you will receive power. All right? You will receive power presence is the beginning, the starting point for our missionary endeavors. And then he says this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I just want you to consider this. You have always been the plan. 
You have always been the plan to spread the good news of Jesus in this world. He says there four times you will be my witnesses and you will carry out this good news to the world. And then this was kind of one of the things that I hadn't really caught before. He says the word and four times. Four times he uses the word and in this text. You see, he doesn't say you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Samaria, then, then to the ends of the earth. Right? He doesn't say then. He says and. That means this is all inclusive. He is calling us to make disciples of all the nations. And that call is for you and for me. And this is the thing. He's telling you, I've empowered you for this great work. Too many times as Christians, we've settled. We've settled to take this great power we have to use it for very small things. And God's invitation today is that we would take this power he's given us to do things that are so far beyond anything we could ever do that the only thing people could respond to that is, man, their God is great. That this would point to our living God and not to ourselves. But that word there for witness is the word for martyr. There will be a cost. See, God's heart is a heart for the nations, and therefore your heart and my heart should be a heart for the nations, for the people of the world. But he has told us that when we take this to the ends of the world, there will be a cost. And so you might ask yourself, what kind of cost might there exist? In 2010, I had the opportunity to visit our Southeast Asia partner that we, uh, that we love and that we know as Beak. And it was our first mission trip to visit him, all right? It's my first, my first international mission trip. I'd never been on a mission trip. It was a team of four. And we got to go over there to meet. And we were, you know, I, I was given all this material. We we're going to go and train these pastors. I was really excited. I'd just never been overseas. I'd never really interacted with Christians from another part of the world. And so I'm really excited. We fly, you know, I'm, I'm super, I'm in my mid-20s. I say super young. I'm not that much older now. I'm in my, actually, no, I am late 30s now. Getting older, I know. Some of you are like, you're still young. It's okay. But I'm in my mid-20s, excited, full of energy, going to meet these Christians from the other world. And I have all this training material. I'm going to go teach them. And the reason we were there is because they had just finished going through a persecution by the radical Hindu government. These men and women had been pushed out of their lands. Their homes had been burned. They had been persecuted and families had been killed. And these pastors fled into the jungles to hide. And then when they came back out, they went to the very people that had persecuted them and said, we forgive you. We want you to know about Jesus. We want you to come to know the true and saving God. And that began to win people over to Christ, to Jesus. And so we were going to be an encouragement to these pastors. But what I found in that time is that I was encouraged by the men and the women who were at the front line laying down their lives. I had so much to learn about the way they live out their faith. And there was a couple that had asked us to baptize them. And so we hiked up this mountain to go and baptize this family. We walked past their hut. Uh, I looked at the family pet, this little wild hog, and I was like, oh, that's a cute little pet. And we kept walking, found a place to baptize them. Some of you know this story. But for those of you that don't, found a before we were going to baptize them, and then we came back. Well, when we come back, I find the husband is kneeling down on a rock, skinning what I thought was their family pet. And it turns out this wild hog was actually going to be our dinner. Like, they were ready to celebrate with us with this wild hog. And so I'm like, all right, missions, Lord, this is what I signed up for. All right, focus. You're going to be all right. So we baptized a couple. 
they gather the village. We're all celebrating, right? It's this big, big moment for us. We're celebrating the baptisms. And, of course, we're the guests of honor. So they give us the first bowl of this curry wild hog soup. And so they gave me the first bowl. And I'm looking at them and thinking, all right, it's got spices. It'll be all right. I take my first bite. It's a piece of skin that still had prickly hair that tickled the roof of my mouth. All right. And so I take this first bite, and I feel it tickling the roof of my mouth. And I look over at the missionary that's leading the trip, and he looked at me. And he said, you better swallow that. I was like, Lord, I don't think I can do missions. This is a lot. This is a lot. And so I finished my little bowl, and uh, I was not full, but they came up to me and said, you want some more? We have more for you. And I was like, no, I think I'm good. I quoted, you know, man will not live by bread alone. I mean, I was really spiritual in that moment. And why did I tell you this story? Because there's going to be moments that will be uncomfortable for us. There will be moments that will not be easy for us. But this is what it takes for us to reach the nations. This is what it takes for us to reach the people that don't yet know Jesus. On that same trip, where, as we were hiking up this mountain... I was walking next to Pastor Beak, and they recognized him. There were these men coming down from uh, their day of labor, walking with their machetes and all the tools that they had. This guy recognized Beak, comes up to him, starts yelling in his native language. And I look over at Beak, and he's, I said, Beak, what is he saying? And he looked at me, and he said, pray. And I promise you, in that moment, my heart fell to my stomach. And I don't know where you land theologically, but I'm pretty sure I rededicated my life to Christ in that moment. I was like... I am about to die. Literally thought, and this is the only time in my entire life that I've feared for my life for the sake of the gospel. I grew up in church. For many years, I would have told you, I will die for Jesus. I will lay down my life for Jesus. And when that moment came, fear overcame me. I just never been in that, in that situation before. And the guy followed us probably for about a minute. It felt like eternity. And he finally walked away and, and he was just screaming uh, a lot of Hindu sayings about uh, power to their gods and, and things along those na that nature. And Beek just said, this is common for us. This is what we go through every single day. And I came back and I tell you these stories not to tell you, man, you need to go to the other part of the world. You might. That might be the call. But to remind us that what happened to me now 13 years later is that as I'm reading this text, God has convicted me that it's so easy for me, even though I've gone through that situation, I've forgotten of the nations. I don't constantly think and pray for the nations. And so you might be sitting here today and thinking, so what can I do? I don't know that I'm called to world missions to be on the other part of the world well, there's some really simple things that we can all do together. And it is this. We can bless. You and I are blessed to be a blessing. There is a pastor who wrote a book called Bless, Five Simple Ways That You Can uh, Be a Blessing to Your Neighbors, and he says change the world. And so I just want to leave these tools before you as we think about how you and I will bless the nations. And it's an acronym. The B stands for Begin With Prayer. All right? Begin with prayer. You see, I told you, you will not have a heart for the nations if you don't have intimacy with God first. If you and I are not truly, completely saturated with God's presence, the nations will not matter to us. 
Our neighbors will not matter to us. Our co-workers will not matter to us. At best, our family will matter to us. But God's vision is so much greater than just our homes. It starts with our homes, but it moves outward. And so begin with prayer. Maybe use this psalm and begin to incorporate the nations and the unreached people group in your prayer. Who knows what kind of passions you might discover as you spend time with prayer. So use prayer. Add the nations to your prayer calendar. The L, listen. Begin with prayer and then listen. What is God showing you about himself and the nations? What is God teaching you about yourself? Now, here I just want to ask you to consider just yourself. Consider your heart. All right? Because we, you and I are in a very unique position here in Houston. Houston is growing at a rate of 2,400 people a week. A mega church a week. We can't plant enough churches to reach our city with the gospel. All right? One mega church a week, 2,400 people, and the nations are literally coming to us. Like, you don't have to go overseas. The nations are coming here. Fort Bend accounts for a lot of that growth, and Fort Bend is one of the most diverse counties in the country. So you don't have to go very far to find the nations. You just have to be attentive and listening to the nations that are around you. So let me ask you to consider, when you hear someone speaking in a different language, what are your first reactions to that? Well, this is America. Better speak English. Okay. Is that your first reaction? Might it be that as we find Jesus in our intimacy, our first reaction would be, Lord, you brought the nations to me so that I might proclaim good, your good news to them. What could happen if we share the good news with these families that are around us, that their families would be changing because they come to know the saving grace of God, that then their communities would be saved, that then maybe even then their countries would be saved, all because you and I took time to begin with prayer and to listen to the people around us. Hear what's in your heart and be curious. Ask questions when people aren't dressed like you, when people wear really beautiful shirts like these. Ask them, what's that shirt about? Tell me more about your history, about your culture, about your background. Begin to establish relationships so that you might share the good news of Jesus with a friend, not a stranger. And then this one's the easy one, in my opinion. Here, at least, eat. All right? Maybe it's not wild hog you'll be eating. Good. Like, you guys are way ahead. You don't have to go through that experience. But what we tell people at Koinonia is that your dining table is the greatest tool of evangelism God has given you. Literally, invite your neighbors and your friends uh, over and, and make it a, a point to engage people that are not like you. I prayed for this. I've been praying for this. And just in God's great mercy, he's literally opened the doors to neighbors around me who are from the Middle East, who are Muslim. And I got invited into one of their celebrations. And here I am, a believer amidst the Muslim community. And I, I, like, I'm praying God will use that as an opportunity for them to come to know him, that he will use me to bless them. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve. We have opportunities here through the ESL program. It might mean you show up once a month to coffee time at the ESL class. It might mean you're going to serve by giving toward mission. Maybe you're not called to go overseas, and so you will give to that end. Maybe you will find ways to serve here locally to these many nations that are coming to us. But also it might mean that next year you sign up for one of these mission trips. It might mean that next year when the opportunities come up, you say, Lord, here I am, send me, serve, and then finally, story. I pray and I hope 
that you and I will be disciples that have taken this call seriously, that we have a heart for the nations because God has a heart for the nations, and that a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, we will hear many more stories of awkward moments that will come up because it will be awkward at times, of us attempting to share the gospel and then not going according to plan. That's going to happen. But also we would have great stories of friendships we built, of people that we are sharing the gospel with. And, and, and God willing that we would see here at the Grove baptisms, conversions, not just of people who were kind of around Christianity, but people who are really far from God, that they truly are coming near, that the nations are truly coming near because you and I have been obedient to worship, to find our joy in God, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to this world, and that these stories would then encourage us and other churches to continue the great work of spreading the gospel in our area and across the world. It is our responsibility because we are God's people and it has always been his heart to reach the nations through us. Now, let's be men and women of worship aligned to his promise, living in great purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful um, for your heart for the nations, because ultimately that's the reason we are here this morning. It's because people obey the call to go, to go beyond their comforts and their desires. And they obeyed and they stepped out in faith. And today we are the product of that. Today we are the product of that. And so when the psalmist says, let the nations be glad, we are glad today because we are the nations that you had in mind from the beginning of time to worship you. Father God, I pray that today's message would encourage us to think beyond our comforts, to think beyond ourselves, to see a world that almost half of it does not know you. And you've given us the joy and the responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with them. I pray that we wouldn't wake up tomorrow complacent or comfortable or bored or, or Lord, just simply passive, but instead that your word would truly uh, grow in us a heart to love you better and to love those around us better. And I pray, Lord, that when we think of blessing, we would be reminded that we did not deserve what we've received from you, your grace but you've freely given it to us. And so, Father God, I pray that that would change our hearts and motivate us to go out to make disciples of all the nations in this world. Thank you for the opportunity to be reminded. Your call is so much greater than sometimes what we think about. I just pray that we would take your blessing and go and make disciples of the world. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.